Today we get to hear from Isaiah 31 and 32. So woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet, He is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back His words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out His hand, the helper will stumble, and he who has helped will fall, and they will all perish together. For thus... The Lord said to me, as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, he is not terrified by their shouting or daunted at their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare and rescue it. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. Thank you, Forrest. Good morning. Just wanted to let you know something that you probably already know. You have trust issues. We all do, actually. We have trust issues these days. It's difficult to think about and uh, to speak of people that we actually truly, really, deeply trust. I think we can pretty easily come to a place and going, I know the people that I don't trust. But to take a moment and go, who is it that I really trust? It takes you a little while, doesn't it? And we're in this place and in this society that we lack trust. And I think part of the reason that we do uh, lack trust is because so many people have let us down. Seems like there's so many lies going on. Reader's Digest did a uh, review and they nominated uh, actor Tom Hanks as the most trusted man in the world. Tom Hanks. And so he went on a TV show, and and he was asked by the person interviewing him, what do you think it is that makes you uh, become this person that Reader's Digest said, you're the most trusted man in the world? And he said, well, I think what I do is that I'm really honest with people because I tell them when I'm lying to them. (laughs) He would take a script that he didn't really like, and he would tell the person, oh, it's a wonderful script, but not really. But it felt good to hear that was a wonderful script. They trust me because I tell them I'm lying to them. Government leaders are difficult to trust these days. Kings and presidents. Trust indicators for our government are at an all-time low. 
We have a hard time trusting in religious leaders. Why in the world would you trust a guy like me? A lot of religious leaders around our community and around the nation have failed morally and, and uh, gone to some dark places. How can you put your trust in that? Seems like everybody is a spin doctor. Who is really telling the truth? And what happens is, because of our lack of trust, we start to place that from one another to our Lord. Can we really trust the Lord? Who's telling the truth? And I'm here this morning to tell you that there is one leader, there's one king that you can absolutely trust. Like our coins say, in God we trust. And you know what? We absolutely can. We can trust in the Trinity. And we're going to see the Trinity played out in this passages this morning. We can trust in the Father. We can trust in the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We can trust in the Holy Spirit to be faithful and true. We can trust them to love us and to lead us in righteousness. When everything else around us puts us in a place where we lack trust, there's one king we can trust him. And so let's pray that this morning. Heavenly Father, you know we struggle with trust. And Father, I pray this morning that you would minister to us through your Holy Spirit and bring us to a place where we can trust in you, that we can surrender our hearts to you, that we can come to a place where we trust you for our lives in the middle of the mess, that you will not fail us, that you will not abandon us, that you will give us life, that you will deliver us. Father, may we see that this morning through your passage of Isaiah. Teach us, Father, and Father, help us to trust you. In your beautiful and precious name, amen. Well, as we know, as we've been looking at Judah and what's been going on in Judah, we're starting to see that they have been placing their trust over and over again in Egypt. They think that somehow Egypt will protect them, will be their shield, their foundation, their strength, to face an incredible Assyrian army that's, that's raging war and is the most powerful in the land. It's coming soon, they fear. They're going to be wiped out. Where can we turn to? And so instead of turning to God, they're turning to Egypt. They're very impressed with their chariots. They're impressed with their mighty men. They're not opening their eyes to what is actually real. And I think we do the same thing. We, we get stuck in the horizontal, don't we? We're always looking right here. Look at those incredible chariots. They are powerful. Look what's going on around us. Look who has strength. Look who has power in this world. And we look right here. And Isaiah is wanting us to lift our eyes up and to realize what is really real. Where the real battles are being fought. And who has the power of all powers. And who is the king of all kings. Judah is saying, well... Let's look to Egypt. 
And the thing that you, you st- as we've been studying together, we're seeing that chapter after chapter after chapter, the Lord keeps diving into this with His people, doesn't He? It's kind of a reminder to us, somehow we're just not getting it. Let me remind you again, you're placing your trust in Egypt. Stop it. And he brings it up again. You're placing your trust in Egypt. Why are you doing that? Don't go there. And so I think it's a good reminder for us. Sometimes we just don't listen to the voice of the Lord. Sometimes we stay stuck on the horizontal. horizontal, And he keeps bringing it up for us. Where are we placing our trust? There is one king that we can turn to. He keeps dealing with them because, verse 1 says, they do not look to the Holy One, of Israel, or they do not seek help from the Lord. What's getting in the way? We talked last week about ego, the acronym, edging God out. They're edging God out of their lives, and everything is crumbling around them. There is pressure, there is attack, and what's happening is Isaiah is trying to minister to them, hey, come and put your faith and your trust in the Lord God Almighty. I want to just remind you a little bit about some timelines. You know, sometimes as we've been going through this, and I've been, it takes a lot of research to kind of figure out, like, where are we? What's the time frame? Who's attacking who? And what's going on? So I just want to briefly remind you of where we're at, just timeline-wise, and who the enemies are, and who's winning, and who's losing. So Isaiah began his ministry around 740 B.C., and it ended right around 681. What happened is, is, is Israel was divided. So you had two kingdoms, and because they were divided, uh, they lost strength. And so they were vulnerable to attack. And the enemy knew that full well. So the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C., Assyria had constantly been challenging Egypt because Egypt had a presence in Palestine and the areas that they wanted. And in 656, Egypt was fully conquered. There have been lots of battles going on, but fully taken over by the Assyrians in 656. Egypt was defeated by the Assyrians. And so Assyria thinks they're all that. They're the biggest power going on. God's going, no, they're not. I am, but I'm going to continue to use people to wipe them out. And so what happened is Assyria is totally uh, attacked and replaced by Babylon by 600 B.C. Babylon becomes the mighty power. And Judah fell to Babylon in 586 B.C. So it just gives you a little bit of a picture of all the enemies and all these great powers that they were afraid of and And God delivers them out of all of this. Why are you afraid of this enemy? I'm bigger than they. The Assyrians that say they're so strong, they're going to be wiped out by the Babylonians. And then I will have victory over all of them. Why? Because God is sovereign. Why should we trust in the Holy One of Israel? What is it that He's done that we should come to a place... Everybody else around us fails us. And sometimes we feel like God fails us or that he doesn't hear us. Why should we trust in the Holy One of Israel? 
Well, one of the reasons we can trust in Him, and we sang this wonderful song this morning, we can trust in Him because He is the only one who can save us. He's the only one who can save us. Many have tried to come and say they are the Savior. Many people and countries have led saying we are the best, we will save you. There's been many religions that have come and said we will save your soul. There was no one who can save you. There's no one who can save your life and no one who can save your soul other than God himself through his son Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sin and his resurrection power. He rose again and to anyone who should believe upon him they shall be saved. There's no one From the beginning of time, there has been nobody who has been able to save us except Jesus, our Lord. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me, John 14, 6. This is why we can trust him. And many of you came to that place and you recognized He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And I surrender my heart to Him. And you are living testimony of a changed life in Jesus Christ. And as we watch your life, this is why we can trust Him. Because He's the only one who changes you. It's not some special self-help book. That lasts for maybe a couple weeks. But internal life change, your soul given up to the Lord, cleansed, purified, sin-washed. Only Jesus, King of kings. There is one King you can trust, and there is only one who can save you. And you bear that witness. And this is why we can trust Him. There's no power. There's no Assyria. There's no Babylon. There's no Egypt. The Lord just laughs at them. You think they're powerful? Actually, I created each and every one of those individuals. And with my voice, with my breath, I can wipe them out. And he actually does. He's the only one who can save us. Why can we trust the Lord, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Why can we put our trust there? Because he keeps his promises. Not only can he save us, but he will. Verse 3, the Egyptians are mere mortals and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, those who help will stumble. Those who are helped will fall. All will, will perish together. Those armies... They're mere men. They are not spirit. That's where the real battle, that's where the real power is. Yet we look to men. God is spirit. Christian Meyer, in his book Caesar, wrote about Julius Caesar returning to Rome after many years of fighting. He fought battles against armies of all over the regions of Gaul and of Egypt and Africa. 
and he would hold the triumphal processions that we know about. There's an aroma that is to some salvation, to some death. It was in these great processions that Julius Caesar came in. Each of the four processions took an entire day, and his goal was to hold the city spellbound with his greatness. The cavalcades would wind through the streets. They ended at the temple to Jupiter. They would display treasures and all the booty and the large paintings of the battles and the maps. Then came the prisoners and the barbarian kings. Then the Roman officials and then the commander himself. He rode on a chariot drawn by three white horses. He wore a laurel wreath and a purple toga. He carried an eagle scepter. And he colored his face with red to represent Jupiter, whose power made the armies victorious. At the same time as he's riding through, there was a slave that held a golden wreath above him. But here's what's interesting about this slave. That same slave who held the golden wreath wreath served as a counselor for him. And this demigod, as he's riding through in his great victory, this slave would whisper in his ear, Remember, you are human. Remember, you are human. It was intentional. Even Julius Caesar was reminded by his counselor that he was human. Judah is somehow thinking that Egypt is more than that. That somehow they are going to take on these godlike qualities to deliver them, thinking that they will save them. They're but mere humans. There is no mere human that will save you. There is no mere human that you should put all of your trust in to give you life and salvation. But only God in the flesh, Jesus, He's the one who will save you. And that's where the battle is fought. Remember out of Ephesians 6, and it's just a great reminder for us as we go through these battles. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so therefore, put on the armor of God, the full armor of God. And I need to remind you, we we do that in his strength. It's his armor. He's fighting the battle with us. Put it on. Recognize that the battle is not right here. There's spiritual battles raging. And for many people that we know, spiritual battles raging for our soul. But there's only one who can save us. Put on the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. God has victory over the enemy. And He will give you victory over the enemy. God keeps His promises. 
He will help us fight the battles. He's the only one who can save us. This is why we can trust in him. And he keeps his promises. This is why we can trust in him. Because when he says, I will deliver you, he will. When he says, I will fight with you, and I will be with you in the battle, he will. And he does. And when he says, I have victory over the enemy, I've crushed the enemy already. He will provide a way of escape, or he will have victory for you in the battle. You can trust him for that. Again, we're so tainted because there's so many people we can't trust here on this planet. And somehow we transfer that to God Almighty. And that's the false statement, isn't it? And it's a false belief. We can trust our loving God, whose incredible love sent His Son Jesus for us. We can trust Him. It's interesting as we look at these next verses that we're getting some vision out of Isaiah of Exodus. The chariots, remember those in Exodus coming after the people of Israel. They're no match for God. Moses stretches out his hands. The Red Sea is parted. The Israelites cross. And when the chariots come to give chase, they're washed out. There's a beautiful picture of Exodus here. Isaiah is bringing it to our Minds. Verse 5 says, He will, look at the words, pass over and He will rescue. He will pass over and He will rescue. The Lord, I believe, is using Isaiah in these chapters to remind us of who God is. Remember the Exodus. Remember my faithfulness in the Exodus. Remember how I delivered you. Remember my power. You, you think Egypt is a strength? I wiped them out. I've done it before. I'll do it again. Do not place your trust in them. Why are you looking elsewhere for places where you can be covered by the shade? Where you can have a firm foundation? Where you can be actually saved? Why do you keep looking elsewhere to Egypt? Why do you keep going there? I delivered you. I brought you out of bondage. I love that first song we sang, Adrian. Man, he has freed us from the chains. I did that, God says. Remember that. Don't go back to Egypt. You can trust me. But they keep going back. Chapter after chapter after chapter in Isaiah, they keep going back. Why? Why? You know, I, I've told you a couple times now, we, we have a new little puppy. I'm learning a lot from this puppy. It's amazing what you can learn from a dog. He's really sweet, even though he pees and piddles all over the house. I love him. But he, he's learning to play catch with a, with a little ball, actually a little lacrosse ball. And, and so we, we, in our living room, we'll throw it, and we'll throw, it goes in the kitchen, and he gets it, and he runs it back. Or outside, we'll throw lots of space, and he'll run, and he, and he brings it back. But after about two or three times, what's so amazing to me is he'll, he'll take the ball, and he'll bring it over. If he's in the house, we have furniture and, and uh, some furniture pieces, and he'll take the ball, and instead of bringing it to me, he'll 
put it over by this piece of furniture and he'll kind of slap it underneath the furniture. And then he can't get it. And, and he'll stick his head under there and, and, and then he starts barking, barking, barking. He gets really frantic. And so I have to go over there and I, I pull the ball out and then I throw it in the wide open space. And then he'll, he'll go back and he'll take the ball and he'll slap it under the furniture again. And then sometimes what happens when he gets under there, he gets stuck. So then he gets really frantic. And so then I pull him out, I get the ball out again, and we roll it. And he just, he just keeps going back to the corner, to the furniture, the place where he actually can't get the ball. And it, the thing that's amazing to me is I go, why, why does he keep going back there? The, it's like he thinks, like, this time, this time something's going to change. Right? This time something's going to be better in this situation. Every time, the last, last 50 times that I've taken the ball over there, I get stuck and I can't get the ball. But I think somehow this time I'm going to make it happen. And I'll get it. We started to call that corner Egypt over there. <laughs> you keep going back to Egypt, Scout. It's the same thing over and over again. You get frustrated. There is no happiness there because you can't chase the ball anymore. You get stuck. You get stuck. And I have to come and pull you out. We're like that. Somehow we think it's going to change when we keep going back to Egypt, to our sin, to our lack of trust of God. When he says, here, here's this whole wide open field. Hey, Adam and Eve, here, here's this whole garden. Enjoy it. But no, we want to go to the one place that's going to bring us destruction. Israel keeps looking elsewhere. But there's one God that they can trust. There is one king that they can trust. And like I do with Scout, and like we do with our children, God saves us, the only one who can. He's the only one king that we can trust because he keeps his promises. He's the one king that we can trust because, you know what? He keeps pursuing us. He's faithful to pursue us. He does not give up on us. He walks with us in the middle of the mess. And while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Scout, you keep going under there, and I keep pulling you out. Because that's not where you find life. You can trust him because of his radical love that will not cease for you and me. It doesn't. He keeps pursuing us right in the middle of our sin because of his love for us, because he wants us to be able to put our faith, our hope, our life in him. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to be saved and have life now and eternally with him. Look at this amazing grace poured out in verse 4. This is what the Lord says to me. As a lion growls, as a great lion over its prey, and though the whole band of shepherds comes together and they're called together against the lion, it is not frightened by their shouts. It's not even disturbed by their clamor. So the people of Egypt, or the people of Israel, keep trusting in Egypt and they're rejecting God Yet he is pursuing them still in a powerful way, like a lion. I love the imagery. 
powerful. We call the lion the king of beasts. There is no greater power than me, the lion says. You know, the shepherds would come out. They, they would have their, their staff and they would, they would come together when there was ever a lion in town to attack their sheep. And then they'd also take pans and stuff and start clamoring, banging against them to scare off the lion. And what God is saying, that enemy, those who come against me, I'm going to deliver my people. I'm the only one who can. You're afraid of Assyria. They're nothing to me. I come in like a lion to rescue you. I'm like birds overhead. And this is actually a more tender thing, but powerful. You know mama bears? Mama bears are tough. I'm a bird overhead. My chicks are in the nest. Nobody's going to mess with my chicks. You come near my nest, I am going to come down and I'm going to take you out. You see, that's the imagery of the Lord. I watch over, I cover, I come in with strength, I come in with tenderness, yet power. I will deliver my people. What an amazing grace. The people have rejected him. They've turned away from him. They're putting their trust in other things. And yet he keeps pursuing that. That is grace. I want to give you life. I want to free you from these chains. And so I keep pursuing you because my love is never ending. I am your only deliverer. The king longs for relationship for us. But here's what he longs for. Return. Return. You know, if you're at a place right now, dear saints, if you're at a place where you've kind of gone on another path, that you're looking for life somewhere else, maybe you've got stuck in a sin that's just taking you to a deep place and and you're overwhelmed by it. The Lord is telling you this morning, Return. Come back. Receive my grace. You can trust me because I'm going to give you my grace. And you can trust me because I'm going to forgive you. I'm not going to hold this over you. I want you to come and receive my life and my grace. Come back. He's the one king who can transform your life. He is the one king who can save Verse 8 says, Assyria is going to fall. He's the one king who will change everything, starting with your heart. Look at verse 7. In that day, every one of you will reject. This is when God gets a hold of you. The one king you can trust. Every one of you will reject the idols of silver and gold your sinful hands have made. See, what happens is, when God gets a hold of your heart and He transforms you, and you've been putting your trust in these idols, thinking somehow I can find life there, He said, no, what happens when you return and you place your trust in Me and you surrender your heart to Me, all of a sudden you're transformed and those idols are just junk. You can get rid of them. You're going to realize how worthless they are. You're going to say, God, forgive me that even I somehow tried to find life there or salvation in that place. He's the one king who can change everything. So many people have come to us and said, I will change it. No, they can't. Only the true king, our Lord God, 
His Son Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, He changes. And it all starts right here in our hearts. And we can put our trust in Him because He's done that work. That fire, that presence, that consuming love, that refining fire that rests on Zion. We can trust Him because He truly does forgive us. He truly does save us. And again, for those of you children of God, you're that testimony. I'm that testimony. The last thing that I want to look at this morning of why we can trust Him, there's one King we can trust, is because He is a King who is of good character. And His good character never changes. Character is a big deal for us, isn't it? We try to look for people with good character. And we fall short a lot of times. Again, we go, I thought you had good character, but boy, you switched on this thing right away. We can trust Him because He is of good character. And His good character never changes. What does it look like? See, a king will reign in righteousness. And rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and a shadow of the great rock in a thirsty land. Then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed and the ears of those who hear will listen. The fearful heart will know and understand and the stammering tongue will be fluent and clear. No longer will the fool be called noble or the scoundrel will now be highly respected. Part of the thing that I don't want you to miss in chapter 32 in the beginning, see, a king will reign. The vision of here's the promise of the Lord through Isaiah. A king will reign. He's a righteous king. He's coming and he came The Lord Jesus came in the flesh, God in the flesh. And then there's going to be His ultimate coming where He will be proclaimed King of Kings. He keeps His promises. We get a wonderful view of the Messianic King when Christ ultimately reigns. We get a view here of living, you and me, living under the righteous King. And we live under Him empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for the kingdom. Now, presently, what's our prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Do you understand this? While we live in this broken world, while we live in this mess right now, thy kingdom come. You see, Lord, I'm living under your kingship because I can trust you. I am empowered by your Holy Spirit. And so I invite and I ask that your kingdom life would be played out through me. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means I want you to bring heavenly things to earth so that people can understand your righteousness and your justice and your love for them. That they can get a taste of your goodness. It's not just eternal life, it's life now under his kingdom. Ultimately, this is all going to be redeemed. It's going to all be made right. We know right now it's not. 
This is revival stuff. You need to understand that. You, as children of God, have been given the Holy Spirit. And look at the images he gives us. Under this kingship, the true king, what he looks like. This true king is going to be one who is righteous. This true king is going to be one who's going to provide shade and life. This true king is going to open up the eyes that were blind to see the word of God and hear the word of God. A refuge from the storm. And we, the people, are going to be part of that kingdom. G.K. Chesterton says this, We do not want, as the newspapers say, we do not want a church that will come and will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world, that will bring His kingdom to light. Righteousness. This is a reversal of Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 speaks, you're going to go out and they're not going to see. They're not going to understand. But this king will come and rule in. He will bring shelter and refuge and justice. And the truth is going to be proclaimed. I want you to ask yourselves this morning, as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, who have placed their trust in the King of Kings, Father, how is it that you want me to be part of this kingdom? How do you want me to provide justice, Lord, on this earth? Father, where can I be someone who provides shelter? Where can I bring your word so that those who haven't heard it or whose ears have been closed, where it finally comes in and they go, ah, this is truth and I'm hearing it for the first time. You see, this isn't all just end time stuff. This is now in preparation. And again, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, it goes on to say, right, and the Spirit's going to pour out. At Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit poured out. And each of us, each and every one of us, as children of God, we have the Holy Spirit. And He helps us to put our trust in the one King. And then He helps us to bring His kingdom life into this world. So that others can also go, there is one King who I can trust. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, forgive us. Forgive us when we look elsewhere for life. Forgive us when we are seeking to live life in our own strength and our own abilities. And Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to, to surrender our lives to you. Father, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And Father, we acknowledge you as such. And we desire to place our trust in you this morning. In your beautiful and precious name. Amen.